to the You Are Infinitely Loved podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Koos. We believe that loving yourself is the key to transforming every aspect of your life. And it's our hope that these conversations bring you one step closer towards embracing this truth. Hi, and welcome to another episode of You Are Infinitely Loved. Today, we are interviewing the amazing co-founder of this project, Lindsay Bong. And I am here with Koos Bong, her amazing husband. And to begin with, what I want to start with is one of the funniest stories that Koos uh, told me a couple of months ago. And it does relate to Lindsay's worth. So Koos, <laughs> if you could please share this story with our listeners. I find it hilarious. Over to you. You know, I, I don't know if uh, I find it hilarious, though. Well, I still find it hilarious. This was actually um, happened during one of our dates. And uh, we were out on this really fancy dinner. And I think towards the end of dinner, the dinner, it, you know, everything was going well. I think we it was just a month or two into our us dating, wasn't it? I, I blocked it out. I, you it's blocked been it out. So okay. Yeah. So... Now, give you a bit a, to give you a little bit of background. I'm originally from Indonesia, mm. and in in Indonesia, the how you say what something is worth or what's the price of something is the same is the same word. Um, yeah. Okay. So we had dinner. It went well. At the end of the dinner, the dinner, I held her hands and I looked her in the eyes, and I said. Lindsay, you are so worthless. And then she looked at me <laughs> for a bit and she was probably thinking, uh, is this guy being serious? And then when I saw her face, I was like, oh no, I used the wrong word. And I said, oh my gosh, Lindsay, I'm so sorry. I meant to say priceless, priceless. In Indonesia, in Indonesian, worth and price is the same word. So I'm so sorry. I picked the wrong one. It was a 50-50. So at <laughs> point i had not blessed coos with my gift of humor i had not shown him the ways how to be funny and so i stared at him thinking oh my gosh is he being serious like is he trying to be funny like we're having this romantic moment and then and he's called what? me worthless uh, yeah so, Lindsay, so, uh, uh, yes. so that was, was that the start of your self-love <laughs> so the, uh, she loved herself this, a lot before before this i <laughs> really was a very confident person. I believed in myself. And that 10 years ago was the beginning of my self-hatred and loathing for me. So I have a really unique uh, take on this. It's amazing. The power of language, you know, it can really derail us. Oh, my word. Well, you are priceless. I got that one right this time. Okay. Got it right this time. (laughs) 10 years too late, but cool, 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 cool. We know, we all know that you're priceless, Lindsay. Um, so let's get started with your self-love journey. Uh, yes. As, as hopefully our listeners will find as they listen to this podcast, everybody's self-love journey is very personal, very different. So I want to get to know a little bit more about yours. So when do you think it was for you that you even realized that self-love was like a thing? thing like how long do you think it's been that you've been even thinking about this or working on it or is a thing yeah self-love is a thing you know it's interesting I I mean I've mentioned before I'm a therapist and 
probably in the past couple of years, I took a, about a six year break to be a stay at home mom and then came back to therapy. And since coming back, I feel like I've been working with a lot of women who, um, you know, I've been telling them, you got to have confidence and love yourself in a therapeutic way. Of course, I'm not telling them that I'm helping pull it out of them because I'm <laughs> a therapist and we do that. We pull things out. Um, <laughs> we don't tell people what they think. Um, so I feel like I kept giving them all these ways to improve their self-confidence and their, the way they see themselves and, you know, self-love basics. Mm. And I think as I saw them start to really push into this and their lives just become completely different upside down, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this stuff works. (laughs) Maybe I should try it for myself. (laughs) And I think it really highlighted this idea that I thought I was okay and that my self-esteem was okay and that I liked myself, but it really uncovered that I was really far from that. And so I kind of felt like I had a grip on it and kind of took a long look in the mirror and realized I really, really didn't. Mm -hmm. And so in the past couple of years, I've just been doing a deeper dive into what does that really mean in the context of um, who I am as a therapist, you know, first and foremost, but more so, oh, wait, I'm getting a funny look from Coos. Not first and foremost. Sorry. I'm not a therapist first and foremost. <laughs> what I meant is I think at work, being able to, um, work makes me have to be my healthiest and I can't be doing great work if I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. And yes. so it's such a great, I, I love my job for that reason. It's kind of selfish reason, but there it is. Mm. And so... I'm kind of rambling. No, not here? at all. What, what was the I, question again? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if that kind of also take you on this journey of thinking back about your history of like noticing some pattern in the past that made you think, oh man, I was not practicing, practicing self-love then. Right, right, right. I think most of us have this pretty gnarly voice in our head. Mm. That is the this current that we're not even paying attention to. It doesn't really pop up so ugly or we're just so used to it that we mm. don't notice how gnarly it is. And that was definitely true for me. Um, I, you know, even in recent years could look in the mirror and the, the things that would run through my head would be a slew of abuse, you know, language towards myself. Like, oh my gosh, you look terrible. You look awful, you're fat, you're ugly, all the things that we say to ourselves that are atrocious and we would never say to another human being uh, would kind of roll off my tongue, but I wouldn't really think about it or hold on to it. I'd just be like, oh yeah, that's that's truth, but that's okay, whatever, moving on. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how pervasive it was and I didn't realize how deep those roots went Mm -hmm. until I started to, um, yeah, push more into it. And so for me, I looked back, I mean, all the way into childhood, like where do these roots start? And especially, you know, I have an eight-year-old daughter and I'm starting to see how she's figuring out her identity. And sometimes it's really awesome and fun. And sometimes it's freaking terrifying because I'm starting to see like at this young age, this is where your identity forms. This is where you start to um, form a picture of yourself. And so as I'm neurotically telling my daughter all these (laughs) positive (laughs) things all the time, um, it's helped me reparent myself, actually. 
And so as I'm telling Avon all the things that I want her to believe about herself that are true, that I know will be hard for her to believe about herself when she's older, I am hearing them and being like, oh yeah, that's, that's for me too. I need to remember that. That's important. Yes, I believe that about myself now. And so... I yeah. love that. What a powerful... As someone who is not a parent, <laughs> I can I can only imagine like, wouldn't that be wonderful if all parents kind of saw parenting as a way of re- reparenting themselves and <laughs> and like listening to what they're saying to their kids and realizing because this happens as you would know, Lindsay, it happens all the time in coaching and I'm sure it happens in therapy. Like you said at the outset, is like you find yourself saying things to people that you think ah this is what I should be saying to myself, you know, you, you kind of see it reflected in the person you're giving the advice to. And I love that that's coming through for you when you're speaking to your daughter and you're seeing that opportunity. One thing that I'm interested in is you gave a couple of examples and I don't want to, you know, dwell completely on the neurotic voice in your head, but you, <laughs> oh, oh, let's yeah. do. <laughs> you gave examples of some of the things that it would say, say when you looked in the mirror. So and they were physical things, which was, you know, right. the case for me too. Is there anything else that when you said, you know, you, you thought you had pretty good self-esteem and you thought you had self-love, good self-love, and then you realized that you didn't. Were there, garbage. <laughs> were there other things that the voice was saying or other things you didn't accept about yourself or for you as well, like it was for me, was it primarily just the, the way that you looked or were there other little berating voices coming up. Oh, yeah. You know, I feel like one of my biggest formation things as a kid was I really, you know, I kind of grew up in a chaotic home and I really wanted to be invisible. I didn't Mm. want to be seen or known. I didn't want to, I was fearful of being made fun of or rejected. And so being a wallflower was like the goal. Mm. Um, which is ironic because I'm pretty extroverted. So those things yeah. really work well I, together. <laughs> I can't imagine you being a wallflower. <sighs> so in some contexts, when I would feel safe, I would let myself out and that would be really fun. But for the most part, um, I tried to hide, hide a little bit. And I think for a long time, I felt my worth was in what I could do for other people. Mm-hmm. If I could serve them, help them, um, then they would like me and they would give me the love that I needed in return. And as we all know, that equation does not work well. Um, and for me, it, it actually did work well for a long time until it didn't, until I still felt like I was serving so much. I was giving so much of myself, um, trying so hard to be a really good girl, to follow the rules, to, um, yeah, just be a really good girl that um, I still was winding up feeling empty and lonely and unseen. and. I think a lot of my story is about me trying to be what other people need me to be or what I perceive them to need me to be. And as I've walked in the self-love journey so much, a big part of it has been if I practice self-love, that's actually a really selfish and self-involved thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll become a narcissist. And as we know, we laugh about that, right? Yeah, totally. It's that perception of becoming a self, self self-love is self-involved. And that's, you know, we know to be totally not true, but that was definitely a block for me. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to be a selfish person and I don't want to be so self-absorbed. And so I think that 
it wasn't until recently. And, you know, a lot of people in the helper profession, um, I have friends who are nurses, counselors, coaches, people who are spending their time um, in their work life, personal life, serving and helping others tend to be really crappy at um, no, even knowing what their own needs are. <laughs> and that was definitely true for me. Um, I, yeah. I use this example in therapy a lot. Do you remember that movie, Runaway Bride? Hmm. Yes. Love that movie. Yes. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> I haven't seen it in forever, so I probably should watch it again before I talk about this. Um, I could have this totally wrong in my head. but It's let's just, fine. The way Julia Roberts will forgive movie, you. It's totally yes. cool. <laughs> the way I remember this movie, which, again, I probably haven't seen in like 15 years. <laughs> this could be really interesting. It's like when actually. I throw quotes from books I read 10 years ago. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so wrong. You're like, that did not say that. Um, yeah. So... Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it, I'm totally going to spoil this movie for you. But in the movie, Julia Roberts' character keeps uh, getting to the altar with men and then ditching them, mm-hmm. like, last minute. And mm-hmm. so Richard Greer is a, I think he's a journalist, right? He comes to figure out why this woman keeps leaving men at the altar. Mm. And long story short, he figures out that she's trying to be, to match her fiancé. Hmm. And be what her fiance needs or what she thinks he needs instead of mm-hmm. herself. And one way he does it is he finds out what each of the fiancés, how, how they made their eggs, how they ate hmm. their eggs. Mm-hmm. And so he'd ask them, oh, you know, how did Julia eat her eggs? And they would say, oh, the same as me, mm-hmm. scrambled over easy or whatever. And so that was just like this aha moment of she can't get married to these people because she is losing herself in them. Yes, And she doesn't know how she likes her damn eggs. Yeah. <laughs> so I think when you are really focused on meeting other people's needs and trying to be what you think they need you to be, mm-hmm. you forget who you are. You don't even know who you are. You just become invisible. Yeah. And so that for me has been a really true thread throughout my life of I um, had this empty love cup and for me to get it filled up, I need to figure out what other people need and meet that need. And then they'll love me. Ta-da. Are you saying that um, you don't like your eggs over easy? Then <laughs> I was just about to ask if you eat your eggs the same way, guys. I was like, oh. <laughs> this is hard for me to tell you this, but um, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. I, I notice a bit of um, conflicting messages here. You're saying you felt like you needed to be invisible all the time. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you feel like you needed to be what everyone else needed you to be. So you, you, you would feel loved. So they would notice you. Yeah. I mean like invisible in that who I am, what my needs and wants are need mm. to not be present so that I can be what other people need me to be. Mm. Yeah. I, I know feel, a little I, bit more. Go ahead, Sam. I was just going to say, for me, the analogy that's coming up is kind of like I feel like it's um, a chameleon, you know, like the chameleon is invisible yep. because they're adapting to their environment. So totally. it's kind of like you you were adapting to all these people around you, which meant that you just fit in. Totally. You know? But obviously when you're not taking care of your own needs or abandoning yourself, you, you don't actually feel like you fit in. You kind of feel right. the opposite because you're not yep. – being yourself in that place. Absolutely. I think for me, a big part of my story too, is I was raised in the church, like Christian faith. 
And for me, that was a really positive experience growing up in a lot of ways. Um, I felt like church was a place I could go and be myself and be, feel loved and feel like there was an important message and I was a part of that. And so the church is really good at telling women they need to be helpers and be nurturers. And I was like, I can fill that role. Sweet. And I'm going to be real vulnerable here. My dream was to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> like, not the pastor, not the pastor, You're letting the pastor's down wife. the team. Coos, what do you have to say about that? I just pulled out, uh, you know, seminary school and I'll see if I can be a pastor. <laughs> can you play yeah. about your true. life? I have like a boot camp, pastor boot camp yep, course or something. Totally. No, but it was, it's interesting because now it's like, why wasn't I thinking, oh, my dream is to be the pastor. That mm. wasn't even on my radar because that wasn't the thing. I didn't know any women pastors. Mm. And so, um, I just have this kind of conflicting thing of, I really loved being in this church environment. I really, I even now, uh, my faith is super important to me and it's really changed a lot as I've started to love myself, um, and appreciate myself and feel like it's, um, it's, it's the right thing to do to have needs and express them. And that's a godly thing to do. And that's, um, yeah. So I don't know there that's, I'm not really explaining well, my faith story, but in that it's kind of, kind of just intertwined together in weird ways. And so like the faith piece, there was a lot of health in it and there was a lot of unhealth in it. Yeah. And so I think in my adulthood, trying to take those like braided parts a piece, a a piece that doesn't make sense, (laughs) unbraid them from each other, untwist them from each other and figure out, um, are these mutually exclusive things? Like, can I have a deep faith in God? And can I also love myself really well? Mm-hmm. And what I'm finding out is that this is the craziest thing is that I feel like as I practice loving myself more and more, I really love God more and more. And I feel joy that I never had in my faith. You know, I felt a lot of comfort in my faith. I felt um, connection and community in my faith, but I wouldn't say joy was like high up on the list. I wanted to bring that up before you said those things because, you know, being husband and wife here, I kind of have an idea of what your <laughs> you know. spiritual journey oh, no, has been like. Going? No way. Well, I, Does you know, Chris I, know I, what I, goes on in your life? What? He's going to out me here. I'm, oh, God. I'm, What's he going to say? Her. This is not... No, I, I feel like um, we've had a lot of conversations in the past, how you felt like you just needed a break from the church. Mm-hmm. You don't feel seen anymore. Mm-hmm. And which was really interesting, very interesting growing, you know, having been exposed to church all the time mm-hmm. and then going through this very dry season of like, I just don't want to have anything to do with ch- the church. I don't right. feel like I'm close to God anymore. And then as you lean more into this self-love, self-compassion journey, like that passion just started, yep. you know, it got reignited again. <laughs> no one's more surprised about this than me. Which is very, <laughs> very awesome. Yeah, it's been a very unexpected but really pleasant surprise that like this faith I kind of thought I had to throw away mm. in order to be healthy. 
which is, I mean, right. Even saying that out loud feels crazy to me, but there were certain parts of my faith that were really unhealthy. And my view about myself through the lens of my old faith was really unhealthy. And, um, like viewing myself as a helper, um, that's highly, that's a, that's a good thing to, to do when you're in a church community is to be a helper. Mm-hmm. Um, but to view myself as other roles in church, like, oh my word, if I got asked to do the damn children's ministry one more time, mm-hmm. I was going to lose my mind because I've been to seminary. I, you know, I have some other gifts to offer that were never being looked at because I wasn't really sharing that with people. Like I have some things that I could offer here that are more true to me. I love children. I have children. Children's ministry is awesome. And also I don't want to be put there because I'm a woman and I'd like to serve, you know? Yeah. When the default is yes. children's ministry. Cause that's not being known. Women's ministries. Yeah. yeah. Greeters. Yeah. The pray, prayer team. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's interesting to me that I really thought my faith days were kind of over or kind of dying out. And, um, like God and I would be cool, but I'm not going to like invest time into this thing to like church community anymore Mm. because the psychology part of my brain is like, yeah, no, this is not, this is not healthy. So, um, I think the body image stuff is part of my self-loathing past, but a bigger piece is my identity, um, is who I am at my core valued and wanted? Mm. And can I show up authentically in the world as who I am? And Oh, PS, I don't know who that person is. So how do I find out who I really am apart from these labels I've kind of taken on for myself Mm. to fabricate the love that I need? Oh my goodness. That's a pretty big question, Lindsay. So (laughs) Sam, I need you to answer this. Who am I? I need some information. Who are you? What I'm interested in is obviously as a therapist, you are very much in a role of service and a helper role. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and so that, you know, whether that came out of a, a healthy space or an unhealthy <laughs> space originally. Let's be real. It did not. <laughs> so what I'm interested in is now that you're on this kind of, uh, you're, you're on this self-love journey and you're working on your own self-love, how have you been able to I don't know, reframe the way that you see therapy or do you see yourself as yes. a better therapist now that you're looking after your own needs? Like how, how have you been able to, yeah, reframe this totally. whole role for yourself? Well, I've actually become a meaner therapist because <laughs> I am not afraid if my clients like me or not. <laughs> Whereas before I was like, should I say this thing? I mean, it's pretty obvious. If I anyone wants this, to mean therapy, Lindsay Bong, Portland. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm not mean. Um, but I think like I'm more bold in therapy. I can, um, I don't, I'm more assertive. I don't need clients to like me Mm. and, um, you know, they do. Yeah. But I, I feel like I am right now I'm looking at my like client list and I have really incredible, incredible clients. There are Mm. some, I am so sad that I can't be friends with in real (laughs) life because they're just incredible. And they teach me so much too. Um, as I'm working on this, I'm seeing them do similar work. Mm. And again, I'm like, this shit works. (laughs) Like, Oh my gosh. Um, so 
Yeah, Coos is giving, giving me the nudge. I don't know if I'm supposed to be cussing on this. Can we cuss here? We can. Have we decided? Absolutely. Are we, we are just mocking this as explicit. <laughs> oh, my word. I don't know if I can go explicit. I mean, from my wanting to be a pastor's wife to explicit podcast, here we are. Yeah. Um, who are you, Lindsay? Who am I? I still don't know. I'm really confused. I'm getting more confused are as this conversation goes on. Are you goes not a cusser? I'm a cusser. Um, yeah, no. So I think being, I, I'm going to work now not needing things from my clients. Mm. Um, I'm going to work feeling like I really feel passionate about helping others um, for the sake that this is what I'm good at. I enjoy doing this kind of work. And I feel like there's a huge need for it in the world that I uniquely can fill. And so that's a really different place than... I need to do service in the world because I need love. I need people to like me. I need to do good things so people admire me for that. Absolutely. So it's really like you're different. giving from this beautiful place of just genuine contribution and yep. use of your strengths and your gifts rather yep. than I need external validation from you to help me yep. feel lovable. Totally. And I think like resentment was a pretty big deal for me, like in my personal life, feeling like... um I would give to friends and feel like they weren't reciprocating what I was giving them. Mm-hmm. And they weren't even ask they weren't asking me to give things or do things for them, but because I really needed them to like me and love me, I was kind of maybe over-serving or hmm. um yeah, doing that kind of weird thing where I needed something. I was I was going to relationships with expectations on them. Yeah. I need something from this relationship. Instead of just showing up and enjoying relationship, I was having lots of expectations. Mm. And so, and that's something I'm still, I think, processing and working through is showing up to relationship without expectations. Because that, I think, is a sign of someone who loves himself well, hmm. is I want to be with you, but I don't need something desperately from you. Yeah. I think that's so important about just... Sam, is that healthy? I need, I need you to tell me. <laughs> That is so healthy. And this oh, is the okay, thing, like if we all had amazing self-love, then none of us would have that need to get that from other people. Totally. And so we'd be showing up fully as ourselves and giving from a really genuine space of just Absolutely. generosity rather than resentment and obligation. Totally. Mm. And I think people would be surprised in my old days that um, I think I probably hit it pretty well that I, I wasn't showing my resentment to other people. Like I'm giving mm. you so much and you're not giving me anything. I mean, I hope I was hiding it pretty well. Like I wasn't, but, um, yeah, I think I've, I felt in my own heart, a shift in that mm. and feeling like because of that, I'm really enjoying my friendships, even my relationship with Coos and my kids a lot more, um, because I'm not putting pressure on them yes. to fill my love cup up because I feel pretty good. And I think even like going back to the faith piece, what well, is not in your head. <laughs> I wish you guys, I wish this was a video right now because the look he's giving me is, Coos do you feels not agree? Good that you do feel you feel good. like I resent you? I agree. <laughs> I think what I wanted to ask is you've mentioned a couple of times, like filling your love cup, which I love. It's such a beautiful kind of um, visual to think of it like that. And I'm just interested, like, what do you do to do that? Like, do you, are there, I don't know, specific practices or is it just the way you speak to yourself or is there like, like, how do you fill your love cup? 
I think the most powerful thing is being really aware of what you say to yourself. So the way I talk to myself and think about myself is the number one way to access. Do I love myself or not? Am I in a healthy place or am I not in a healthy place? And so, um, when I look in the mirror, what am I saying? I had, I, in the past few months have had this thing where in at work, I'll go to the bathroom in between sessions and I'll look in the mirror and I just feel like I'll get a tear in my eye. Cause I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Like you're doing this really hard work and you are showing up in an authentic way. And I'm super proud of you for doing it. And like thinking that way about myself is it like I start to laugh. I usually laugh because I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is so cheesy or like ridiculous, but genuinely feeling it in my soul that I am so proud of myself. I keep showing up and I'm failing left and right at things. I'm not perfect. Um, I'm it. struggling in other what? areas. I know. I know. It might surprise you. What do you but mean? <laughs> it's just this idea that I have compassion that for my failures, I'm not beating myself up over them. Mm-hmm. I am like so easily letting them go. Like, yep, you messed up. Why don't you go apologize, fix it, make it right. And then we're going to move on as opposed to being passive aggressive. Oh, heads up. That was one of my, that's one of my big things too. (laughs) Um, but like limiting how passive aggressive I am, um, Mm -hmm. saying like right now, let's just fix this. Like, let's go apologize. Let's own it and be done with it because you're human. You get to be human. And I think I said a lot to myself, like you get to be human I get to snap on my kids sometimes and instead of like sitting on that forever, going back and telling them, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? And moving on and being like, yep, I just made a mistake. That's what we do. We make mistakes and then we move on. Mm. So yeah, it's a big one. I feel like, um, I kind of made myself go on what I would call like a joy diet. This has nothing to do with food. I don't know what that is, um, but it sounds good. Please. Uh-huh. Yes. No, I feel like I, I did some experimenting of um, taking away any kind of negativity or anything that might give me a weird view or picture of myself. Mm. So think about all the things that we consume, all the media. So the shows we watch, the podcasts we listen to, the books we read, the people we talk to, and... The husbands you marry. The, the people you marry to. <laughs> <clears throat> um, <laughs> my gosh, please. You call so, me worthless. Like, I think... You call... Yeah. Right? I think we... We know what, what is the going. problem is. <laughs> this is this is a cry for help. <laughs> oh, geez. A therapist should not joke about that. I'm I, sorry, I, listeners. I mean, <laughs> Inappropriate. I'm an ESL teacher. But you're human. You can have a sense of humor. <laughs> Yes. Make a terrible joke. Forgive me. Um, moving on. (laughs) No. Um, the joy diet. You're on your joy diet. Yes. My joy diet. Yeah. So I used to love to watch law and order SVU so much because you know, I'm into psychology. Yeah. Special victims unit. We just want to see special victims. (laughs) (laughs) Twisted and mutilated. That sounds like a great Saturday night. No, but I feel like, um, cutting out anything like that, that yeah, it might be interesting and engaging. Is it bringing joy to my life? Is it sparking joy for me right now? Mm. Um, are the clothes I'm wearing sparking joy for me? Mm. And a lot of that was that, this is so funny, that Marie Kondo book, the, yes, the, the magic, magic of what is it? up or something. The secret, yes. The I'm going to tell you that. Yes. <laughs> that book was life changing for me because it really was about 
experimenting with um, every article, everything that you own, holding it and saying, does this spark joy for me? And if not, letting it go. Mm. And so if we use that same thing with our relationships, like, does this friendship spark joy for me? Do I feel... (laughs) Sorry, I was just thinking, does my marriage spark joy for me? I picture you just letting booze go. I'm just letting letting them go. (laughs) Do my children spark joy for me right now? No, I'm done. Does my longest roommate over there spark joy for me? Oh my word. He actually does. He He really does. Yes. Um, No. And so I think, yeah. So figuring out what am I consuming and is it, is it bringing me joy? Are the books I'm reading uplifting and encouraging Mm. or are they making me realize how dark and, you know, scary the world is. Mm. And so I get to choose my reality and it doesn't mean I'm not being real, but I'm being real in a way that says this is hard. And also I'm strong and I'm resilient and I'm kind and I can, um, handle what comes at me. Mm. So I think, yeah, even thinking about, um, I guess just being really introspective and thoughtful about what am I consuming and what do I expect will come out of this? Yeah. This reminded me of a conversation that we had with, um, or Foxer. I think Sam, you brought up this, uh, some science fact about, the kind, the kind of the kind of hormones that you produce based on how you think about you know like oh yeah. I think our friend was saying I'm gonna I'm gonna order pizza and yeah. I'm not gonna feel guilty eating it Absolutely. and you're you're sharing some facts about the science behind it Sam you... tell us your science <laughs> thoughts on hormones and pizza. <laughs> No, but I mean, it's an interesting point is that noticing the effect. I think the link that Goose is going for is the effect that, um, that the way we think about things has on like on our physical body as well. So the conversation we were having, I said to, to someone in our boxer group that, you know, the, the thing about like eating pizza is do not feel guilty when you eat it because literally when you feel guilt and anger, when you're doing something, your body is going into your sympath- your sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight response, which is where your cortisol is produced, your adrenaline is produced. And so your body is literally going to hold on to that pizza and store it. And, you know, this is like where we think that it's the pizza making us fat. It's, it's, A lot of it is to do with how we feel when we're eating that, what we're saying to ourselves. And actually, if you just freaking love it, your digestive system works better and you don't produce the same amount of cortisol. Your body doesn't hold on to it in the same way. So I say let's all just go eat chocolate cake and have a party. Pizza party. <laughs> yeah. Take a look at that cake. Uh, Give it a big I smile. I am not a nutritionist. It. Everybody to that cake. do not take okay. nutrition advice from this podcast. <laughs> Disclaimer. But there is a huge link between what your mind takes in and how it affects your body. And I think Absolutely. what you're talking about, joy diet, I love that we we have like these different ways of framing. For me, I had the exact same thing in my life when I was coming out of media and noticing the negative impact that working in the media had on me. And I went on my own joy diet, but I called it um, conscious inspiration. 
So I was making sure. Oh, that sounds sure. so much more educated and Not smart. At I'm all. I like joy yeah, diet. Do that. No, no, no. Let's, <laughs> let's just switch the terms. But it was like this oh, idea man. of how can I consciously inspire myself with everything that's around me? So how can I right. listen to podcasts and read books that exactly what you're saying, that spark joy or that give me that inspiration? So I think it's it. Yeah, it's so important and it's so And I think cool. it's owning that, right? It's mm. it's saying you have a lot of power and agency to do that. And it's it's on me to do this work. Mm. I can't expect to be happy from my relationships. I can't expect other people to do this work for me. If yeah. I want to have joy in my life, that's on me to cut out what doesn't bring joy and really focus on and like pursue with intensity what does bring me joy. And so that is so much of the self-love talk, right? Is saying I'm worthy of having a joy-filled life. Yes. And it's my choice. Like I get to, and again, I'm not talking about if you're, you know, experiencing depression or a deep loss, of course, that's, that's a, that's, you know, joy comes out of those things out of processing and, and moving through those things. Well, so it's not like this blind happiness thing where mm. I'm just happy and Pollyanna, no matter what, but it's this, um, I can be real and I also have a lot of agency and choices that I can make. Mm. And so for me, I think I didn't really have that power kind of growing up and through my early adulthood thinking that I, I had power over my own thoughts or power over, um, yeah, what I was consuming, you know, it's just yeah. like, this is kind of blindly floating along in this mess and until you get to a place where you're like, oh, um, what if I tweaked this stuff? Yeah. What if I only spend time with people who are really kind and loving and we're mutual friends and I'm not the one always giving to the, to the relationship or, mm. um, yeah. So, and I feel like on the, uh, back to the kind of parenting front, cause I'm a parent, not, but what a thing to kind of, um, teach or pass on to your children is mm -hmm. this idea of like are they you know aware of what it is that they're consuming I think the earlier we can kind of make them question like ah does following this person on social media how does it make me feel does it make me feel good or does it make me feel bad and yeah. you know and, and just allowing them to see that they have agency over what it is that they consume and that they can make it Absolutely. so positive Yep. I wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier. Um, some of our listeners might be wondering about this, but how do you differentiate between happiness and joy? Yeah, that's a really good one. I feel like for me, what that's looked like is happy feels kind of cheap. Actually, it feels like it feels shallow, like it doesn't have deep roots. Mm. But to me, joy feels like when you've been real with your stuff, um, all the pain, the garbage, whatever is, is weighing you down and you work through it, you come to this other side of joy mm -hmm. and joy means like happiness. Yeah. But it, it's so much richer and deeper because it's, it's the, the end result of the hard work or the effort you put forth in dealing with your hard stuff. And so I feel like this is interesting. I've kind of have had my radar out for joyful people. Hmm. And, um, when I see one, I like recently I went to a lunch date with a friend. I 
just met her, didn't know her well, but I was like, I want to, I want to know more about you. You're so joyful. And so I asked her, I'm like, do you have like a painful story? Like, do you like, is there a lot of pain in your life? And <laughs> therapist there were, there questions was. over lunch people. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to sign up for a lunch date with me? <laughs> do you have oh a painful gosh. story of hell? <laughs> Tell me everything. <laughs> Don't leave out the juicy details. Um, no, but I think that when you find a joyful person, you have found someone who has had a lot of hardship in their life and they've learned how to process their pain in a healthy way and they can experience joy and be really present because yes. they, um, I don't know. Does that make sense? That Do you makes feel like perfect that, sense. That resonates with oh. you? It resonates with me so much. And I think it kind of has to do with this, like if you have the ability to go to one end of the spectrum and if, you know, the negative spectrum being pain and suffering and grief and whatever that might look like, then as awful as that is when you're in it, you also have the ability to go to the opposite end of the spectrum, which is joy. And I feel like for a lot of people that haven't had the, depths of of suffering or the pain or the they also haven't had the highs of of joy I feel like their emotional experience is kind of I don't know just a little bit you're living between really short boundaries exactly and like you expand one end of it you're going to expand the other end yeah so I feel like the more open or the, the more kind of yeah suffering that comes into your life what's it's awful it's also just increasing your capacity for joy isn't that weird? That doesn't really make sense. No, but I, I mean, but it could it also be this, like, <laughs> I wonder whether it's to do with like this whole comparatively, like when you've known the depths of, of sorrow, you can appreciate joy in mm-hmm. such simple moments. Like you have this just deep gratitude because you've experienced the loss of what it's like to not have that. Totally. And I think it's not just, people who go through horrific things are joyful people. Not, no. I'm not saying that at all, but like people who go through horrific things and process it mm-hmm. and receive healing around it, that's what produces the joy. Absolutely. The, the, maybe the capacity for joy. Yeah, because horrific things can also just you know, manifest <laughs> in more better. horrific things. <laughs> like people can go yes. on to, do, to, yeah, to replicate that. So I think that's a really important point is that it's in the <laughs> processing of it, the healthy processing yeah. of it. And it's, yeah, it's increasing the capacity, but it's not a given. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Well, are you guys done grilling me? <laughs> I, <laughs> oh I'm going to gonna give you a final question if that's all right. Oh, gosh. Okay, here's my final question. My final question is... Where do you want to go with this now? Like, where do you feel you still have to grow? Like, how do you want to increase your self-love or where do you feel like oh, it's Sam. still lacking, you know? Sam, I've arrived. I'm <laughs> unsure of how to answer this question. I have arrived. You're done. <laughs> I am the queen of self-love. Um, bow, bow to me now. Um, yeah, I think for me... Um, I'm noticing that self-love isn't a place where you just do the work and you arrive and then da-da. it is a consistent ongoing thing. Hmm. And so when I stop doing my practice, if I stop, um, if I start getting critical, hmm. okay, I'm going to get real real here for a second. When we have PMS and things are, I don't know, a little hormonal, 
yeah. little intense. Yeah. I can notice my self-talk creep up and be pretty gnarly towards myself. Mm. And the choice I have then is to be like, see, the self-love stuff doesn't work. Um, practicing being kind to myself. When things get tough, it goes out the window. And then I can say in that moment, I offer myself compassion. My body's kind of going through some stuff now. Give it a second. You know, this isn't going to be forever. Um, it's okay. I don't feel great right now. This isn't forever. This feeling will pass. And it's okay. I get, to, and again, I get to be human. I get to have this moment where I'm not doing well and I'm going to move on. I'm going to move through it quickly. Yeah. Instead of being stuck here. And so for me, I think, um, noticing that there are going to be highs and lows in my self-love journey and learning to appreciate and be proud of myself. And when there are the lows to be really aware of, I know I have the tools, I have the skills, I have the relationships I can reach out to that can help get me back on the path. Yes. And so it's not like if I fall off the path, it's more like when I fall off this path, what will I do? Mm. And so I think, again, that's offering compassion that I don't need to do self-love perfectly. I don't need to master this um wouldn't even that be though i am mastering it right <laughs> if, if mean, we were going for perfectionism and no failure on the self-love journey <laughs> totally and i think it, i think that's a really fine thing i mean a fine line we should talk about in future episodes of what does perfectionism look like in the self-love realm mm. um yes can we not have bad days can we not feel shitty sometimes mm. um and not feel like a failure like well great i can't even practice self-love um so I think that that for me is my future is walking towards being even more gentle with myself, mm. uh, practicing kinder words when I look in the mirror, practicing um, kindness when I fail and figuring out a way to impart this to my kids yeah. so that they, they start here, that, that this is their, their baseline is that, um, our family dynamic is one of compassion. I love that. Kus, I hope you're on board. Or are you anti-compassion? <laughs> I am so happy that <laughs> the both of us are on this self-love oh journey gosh, together. Yes. Because anytime one of us is down, I think the other person lifts, lifts totally. each other up. Uh, that's beautiful. Um, and you know what? In another episode because you've just inspired me. We have to do like how the two of you are on this journey together as a couple and how that interaction takes place. Because I think that would be really helpful for anyone mm -hmm. you know, in a relationship out there to how to do this as a yeah. duo, you know? Yeah. We've mastered that as well. I've mastered <laughs> a lot of things. Like I like how we can kill this right podcast <laughs> to give a representation of us. It's maybe not true. <laughs> media I'm manipulation <laughs> yeah no well thank you so much for joining us today Lindsay. it has been such a pleasure as always to speak with you you always make me laugh you are someone that radiates joy which is why i want to hang out with you all of the time so oh, sam why don't we live together <laughs> oh, it's so thanks and thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of you are infinitely loved Thank you for listening to this episode. Our hope is that each day you feel more connected to the knowledge that you are infinitely loved. If you want to continue this conversation, you can find us at youareinfinitelyloved.com.